Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, a new teaser for Thor Love and Thunder, The Northman, opens in theaters, and the filmmakers behind the unbearable weight of massive talent are our guests. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 210. Oh, a nice round number 210 of Real Blend, a podcast that is changing its name. I, I didn't tell you guys this. We're changing our name effectively. Uh, inspired by the Fast and the Furious, we're going to be called Real Blend X. So awesome. from here on out. Yeah, just brand our brand all of our I mean, stuff. That, that does make sense name? that, you know, we haven't been good for a while, so that does fall in line. Are, a question, genuine question. Are they calling it Fast X or are they just calling it Fast 10? Fast 10 and they're just using Roman numeral. That's a good okay. question. Okay. Well, uh, Jason actually, X was Jason X. Yeah, Jason X. It was Jason X. Was yes, that the 10th Jason movie? It was the 10th Jason movie. It was the 10th Jason movie. It bothers me that you have to ask that. This is a classic Fast and Furious of missing the boat on, on something. They went to space in, in number nine. <laughs> So they should have waited till the 10th one to send them to space. Well, only Roman, only uh, Tyrese and and Ludacris went to space. So we haven't seen Vin Diesel go to space yet. If they're going to if they're following in Jason's footsteps, does that mean one day we're going to get Fast and Furious go to hell? And then and then we're going to get and then we're going to get Fast and Furious V Mission Impossible or something. <laughs> they no, no, did it'll go be to Manhattan, the, uh, didn't they? What was the knockoff? Full throttle or whatever? It'll be well, the, no, it'll th- be the it, fast it, knockoff that we got. It'd be Furious V Jurassic. Yeah, yeah, that was the hey, I, now that one I'm here for because they're Actually, universal kind of properties. One. You could literally right. do gotta outrun dinosaurs with the fast cars um, and they right. steal that's, like a serum. A probably yeah. think a about brainer. And then they Pratt. bring in the minions. Yeah, man, you could bring you could, have see, jaw, you could have Jaws show up. I want to see Vin Diesel on a Stegosaurus. Who does all I want out of life? Me too. That's all I've ever asked for on this week's show. Hi, everyone. We have a new teaser for the trailer. No, I'm sorry. Start that over. We have a new teaser for the full movie Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, The Northman and the unbearable weight of massive talent are both going to be hitting theaters. And then the filmmakers behind the Nick Cage movie, uh, both Kevin Eaton and Tom Gormigan, are going to be joining the show for an exclusive interview. Um, We've all jumped into the show, but let me start by introducing the guys. Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. How are you? Sean O'Connell. How are you doing, Bubba? I'm well. I feel like we haven't done this in a really long time. I don't know why. Didn't we do it last week? Yes, it's generally how it goes. It just feels like a while. Like Gabe maybe, on maybe you're getting anxious chat. because uh, can I uh, can I tease that like maybe we all might be in the same room sure. within the coming weeks? Yeah, we might we like might all be like we might all be in the same room. Is this is this a, is this a hashtag? If it happens, it feels like it's happening. It feels like, it feels like it's happening. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it's happening. Kevin McCarthy, my, my flights are booked. Yeah, uh, my flight's not. Well, my flight's not booked yet. 
Oh, Kevin McCarthy go. of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Is your flight booked yet? They are not booked. Yes. Yeah, so it's still it <laughs> I mean, me in a room by myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> Story of my life. You and Miles Teller. Uh, and then Gabe Kovach. Hi, Gabe. How are you doing? Hi, folks. How you doing? Yes. Good to see you guys. All right. Let's go. Uh, Andrew, the guys. Let's move on to housekeeping. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you very much for joining us. Please head down. Give us a like and a subscribe. Join us here every single week for the newest episode of Real Blend, uh, usually with a video element for our guests as well, too. If you are an audio listener and want to join us in video form, head to YouTube.com backslash Real Blend Premium. Uh, have you signed up for Real Blend Premium yet, by the way? We drop on Mondays and in this week's episode we're doing a mailbag so we solicited some mailbag. questions from, from real blend listeners and some good ones came across and then gabe has a whole collection of them and we're gonna we're gonna answer them so check the description where you are listening for information on where to sign up so like i said a lot Wait, of show gabe, to get to really this quick week. have you oh. have you ever gotten a question that was either so ridiculous or so inappropriate that you thought oh i'm not asking that um i want to say Yes, but not maybe not as drastic as like you've set that up. Like I, yeah. I feel like I don't have an example, which is not as entertaining. Um, but I feel like I've definitely gotten at least one or two where I was like, "That won't make for good. That's not going to make anyone feel." This good. feels like a challenge now. This is yeah. this I was feels like, say, "All right, listeners, we need some inappropriate <laughs> All right, loyal questions." Listeners. <laughs> I don't remember what it them. was, but I remember the feeling of seeing a question and being like, "Yeah, I don't know if I can ask." Yeah, that. Oh, I'm All so right. curious. Okay. All right. All right. Proceed. Uh, so mailbag, if you're listening to premium, which drops on Monday in the meantime, oh, we had an interview with Robert Eggers too, that dropped earlier this week. Yes. Uh, so go check that one out. It's available where all your podcast needs are met. And we also have a video element for that on the YouTube channel. We're going to talk about the Northman a little bit later. Returning guest, Robert Eggers, by the way. So we had him come around for the lighthouse. Uh, and this week's guest is, as mentioned, screenwriter Kevin Eaton uh, and his director, Tom Gormkin. The two of them collaborated on the new Nicolas Cage film and Pedro Pascal film, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, so we got them on the show to sit down and talk about making that uh, and a lot of things Nick Cage. If you like Nick Cage, this is the interview for you. So continue listening and we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> good, good, to, good to be with you guys, Kevin and Tom. We are, uh, as mentioned, the Roblin podcast. We are a filmmakers podcast. We like to get into the nitty gritty of the whole process to get to the film reaching theaters and i want to start with this because um the entire concept of uh massive talent works on paper um but i just want to know in those early stages that if nick cage had said no to the pitch uh would you have scrapped the idea entirely and just said it wasn't meant to be or is it a concept that you could have fashioned around another sort of beloved personality well, two things. One is, I think we should call our company Works on Paper. <laughs> that would be what we've been thinking what to do. And I feel like that might be a good one. But I think, yeah, we were You're sort welcome. of resigned. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, we, we'd like you to be part of it. Um, so we, you know, I, I think we were sort of resigned to the idea that there was nobody else that we could slot into this particular narrative. We had crafted it so carefully around the persona and the things that were in Nicolas Cage's life and the, you know, people's uh, view of who he might be and what they think about him. And it's so baked in that, like, I think we were just like, this would have been a, you know, colossal waste of time. I but think, I mean, to be honest, I think there were, for me, selfishly, as a person who has a, a son and a mortgage, I, I at times <laughs> was willing to try to talk to my talk myself into <laughs> other names. Uh, Tom held more firm, correctly as 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 he should have, um, but ultimately it doesn't work. I will say, 
we we did talk about at one point or a friend pitched to us a very funny idea which was um the idea that like if you had christian bale or daniel day lewis in nick cage prosthetics playing nick cage yeah. that is oh, a version yeah. That, yeah. that we could yeah. get behind yeah that was a version we liked because you're like come on daniel day doing cage <laughs> in prosthetic would have been great but then we were like i gotta bet he's so good i'm not entirely sure it wasn't daniel day lewis playing nick neither cage, are we right? by the way but we, <laughs> yeah, we got, what if yeah we had just the nick reveal no but we even got to the point where we were like what if then he plays sergio the italian guy do we just take the prosthetics off and it's Daniel Day Lewis and like and we were like maybe that's oh, insane. Well, I mean we went down this road pretty far because that was the only other one that we thought like potentially had some legs but we also don't Sequel. know either the of sequel. them so yeah yeah, yeah maybe <laughs> and Daniel Day Lewis is so method he would ask people to call him Cage and it'd be like really meta like super meta to like experience that I, I really uh, found your your composer choice interesting, Mark Isham, uh, who's one of the you know a brilliant composer, and but he's composed two other Nick Cage films, which I found fascinating. He composed Next and Bad Lieutenant, um, and I found that interesting. Was that at all a thought process? Like, oh, this guy has already scored films with Nick Cage, or was that a coincidence you figured out in the process? Kind of, like, I was just, I found that really interesting that he had already done two other Nick Cage films. Yeah, well, I mean, look, there's, there's, we always knew that this was going to be a, like a super tall order for a composer because the movie jumps genres so many times. And like, yeah. um, you know, it was kind of a call where we're like, do we have somebody that can really nail when it becomes an action film or the dramatic parts of the film, which is Mark. And then there's some comedy score, which at, at the beginning, and there's some like comedic ideas and some emotionality. And we were like, okay, how is one composer going to do this whole thing? And we sort of landed on, let's go for what Mark does best and then figure out what we need for the other parts of the film. But it wasn't based on him having yeah. done other Nick Cage movies before. It was really just like we were a fan of his music. Hmm. But did that come up in conversation at all that he had already done two Cage films that, that helped the process at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, he would have he has a sense of what Nick does as a performer. So that, I think, helped him. Um, but, you know, they, they each kind of carve out their own strange tone. And, you know, he was up for the challenge. Cool. Guys, there's a, a great moment in the movie where... Um, Javi and Nick walk into kind of Javi's room of memorabilia. That's a love letter to, to Nick Cage. And there's some really great stuff in there, like particularly like the VX gas from The Rock. Like, I would love to have that prop. I'm curious, were any of those props actual props from past films? Or did you guys have to recreate these props from 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 some of his classic films? Well, we actually we had to recreate them because it was like peak kind of pre-vaccine pandemic, it was very difficult to ship anything into the country from materials for costumes because we made a lot of the stuff that they're wearing. We had to basically, you know, we tried to order and ship in the posters and some of the other stuff, but like that we didn't create. But like the the those props you're you're specifically talking about are not the real ones from the movie. We, there was no way to get them there. Wait, what'd you guys do with them? Because I kind of want them. <laughs> I don't know. We have this fantasy that either Nick or Pedro has like the wax sculpture of Nicolas Cage at their house. Yeah, that's a good sure. question. Someone has that. Yeah, where is you that? Someone you has don't know where I that have, went? I, what? I, I have no idea where it went. We were Everything was so insane when we were working over there and the country would shut down and had a curfew and we just sort of left sad and I don't know what happened to it. 
And that one, I have to say. Oh my God. <laughs> there's a, the the fun story there too is that um, that that prop came in and it, you know, it, it didn't really look the way we thought it was going to look, and we had. Bill I think Corso, it had melted. Yeah, it had melted slightly, like... and we did what we could to kind of make it the best version of its of itself, but. You know, we got to set and Nick and Pedro looked at it and we looked at it and we're like, okay, we need to do a little rewriting here, like, which played great comedically because it, it allows Nick to go like, that's supposed to be me. It's, it's grotesque. And yeah. then he, like, that's, then that's, he, that to me, that's what sells that moment. Totally I nice. love that. that yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. I was so nervous. We walked him over to that thing and I was like, I got to show him the wax sculpture, which it looks <laughs> so terrible and like I was just I was so nervous about what he was gonna do but he immediately sort of embraced the ridiculousness of it and you know wow. it was like am I the only one that didn't that thought it didn't look that bad I thought it looked pretty well, good no, so we had Bill Corso who's our um, uh, the, like makeup genius. and prosthetics guy he was a genius I was like Bill you have to help me you have to dive in on this one and he did he was like give me like 25 minutes with this thing <laughs> and that's how good we could get it like to, to what it looks like there which is not too bad, but like the the, the the half hour prior to that when it was unveiled for me was a deeply uncomfortable one. Did it look like Travolta? <laughs> that would have been oh, Travolta holding the gold guns. That actually would have been really funny. Yeah, um, so I want you guys to drill down a little bit further on the point that you just made, which is we've been able to have a lot of really interesting conversations with filmmakers who have movies coming out recently who had to shoot during pandemic and uh, obstacles that they ran into and really creative ways that they overcame them. So what is something that happened to you guys during this production that you're really proud of how you sort of pivoted or thought on the fly and made something happen? Well, there are a couple instances. The first one was we prepped a movie in Bogota to shoot in Mexico where Javi was the head of a cartel. And, you know, you shut down, you go, okay, you can only shoot in this particular part of the world. Uh, who who is he now, right? And so we had to recraft, uh, you know, part of the script to make him an arms deal. The narrative was always the same, but we we're trying to figure out who this person might be and make it a little bit more of an international story. So there were things like that. But the the shocking thing to me was trying to cast people who are there for just like. The therapist, for example, right? Oh, She's yeah. there sure. for a day. You want a person for a day, they need to yeah. quarantine in their country. She was in London for like seven days, then quarantine for 10 days in our, you know, where we were shooting in Budapest. And then wow. you get them on stay, you know, on your set on day 18. So you're going, hey, right. who wants to come to Budapest for one day of acting? We need 18 <laughs> days of your time. And it became, <laughs> oh it became incredibly difficult, especially if half the people were like, I have to shoot something else like uh, on, on this day. And, we, you know, was, so all those little things that you don't ordinarily think about at all um, became massive challenges to overcome. And that was that was hard. And the biggest one of the bigger obstacles was, uh, well, our, our DP got COVID and then and then Tom got COVID. So and, oh, and we and we worked we worked through both of those. We didn't we didn't shut down. Mm. And so it was just using iPads and Nigel was could see what he needed to see and Tom could I would hold up an iPad and he could talk to the actors and I would talk to him and then I'd talk to the actors so we yeah. we, we kept going through two big like personnel we, having COVID and did not shut down which because yeah, we were yeah, under yeah. a under a real I mean that was just like we needed to be wrapped by Christmas basically mm -hmm. and if we kept stopping we weren't gonna 
yeah. the movie. It was sort of like, ah, uh, are we... We just wanted to get it done, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we... we uh, what I didn't love was sort of how much people seem to love me not being there, you know? Like, I didn't, when I came back, I was like, hey, everybody, I thought I was going to... They sort of got used to the process and enjoyed it. Like, I, they could just kind of turn the iPad away and not have to hear... It's not working. Notes. Sorry, Tom. We'll yeah, so, yeah. Kevin's, like, knocking the iPad over. The Wi-Fi's bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just, I'll give him the notes. Okay, yeah. It's like, hey, guys, no, hey, wait a second. It's like, that was a not cool part of it. But, you know, I was just like, every little moment became, like, an inventive thing where you're like how do we how do we do this and yeah hmm. I can't it's magic the movies ever come together <laughs> yeah god your dp is lighting scenes through an ipad it's insane that's <laughs> absolutely insane it felt insane when we were doing it i'm going does this look okay oh uh, at one point we looked- we were shooting a scene and we thought uh, some of the covid test results came back and we thought that one of the actresses had covid so we had to pull her out of a scene that was already partially shot. And it turns out she didn't have COVID. Yeah. It was a false positive. And it was in a Jeep, right? It was a scene in the Jeep where the four girls are in there and she disappears for one of those shots. And I'm going, we have to pull her out and I can't tell anybody what her health information is. So I'm going, we're just gonna, we're just gonna go on a longer lens guys and really get in there. And they're like, what are you talking about? This is, you know, it's crazy. I'm going, nah, it's gonna look cool. Trust me. And they were like, it didn't look cool. She didn't have COVID. We put her back in, widened back out and we finished the scene. And it was, like oh, that's just hilarious. little crazy challenges. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is literally the definition of necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. I will say the hardest yeah. thing though, I think, was that you know, we we didn't really get to like have those big cast dinners or like hang out with Nick and really like get to download on what was working and what wasn't. And so it all had to happen on set, you know, which mm. was just created more time pressure, basically. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to you both yesterday and one of the one of the things I found interesting, obviously, was ask, I was asking you about how you were able to get licensed for the footage to use all the films and Con Air and all those moments. And you said that Paddington 2 was the one you couldn't get footage for because you couldn't put it into an R rated movie. Um, did you attempt to get that footage in there? And like, what was that process like? And if, if like, would you have tried another film or was Paddington 2 kind of the the joke you kind of wanted to go for. Um, I was just curious if there were other options or was like, you know, were you surprised you couldn't use the footage? We were, we were surprised and uh, we would not budge off of the Paddington 2 joke. We were sort of, in, <laughs> we were in love with it. I think I, I think the only one I pitched that I kind of liked, but it's not as good was the SpongeBob movie. But oh, the SpongeBob <laughs> movie. Yeah. That, that's right. Uh, and we were like, is, we're not doing it. Yeah, We'd rather not better. show it and sort of awkwardly shoot around it than lose that joke. There's just something about it that made us happy. You know, it's one of the really we, we spoke about this yesterday. One of the really great side effects of this movie is that Nick is having this moment where we we all get to pause and just let him know how much we appreciate him and we appreciate his work and we value his his really incredible filmography. And it's not really the kind of moment that a lot of actors get where a film is kind of a love letter to his career. Who is another actor you think deserves a moment like this to, for just to, for us to pause and, and talk to him or her and say, Hey, like we, we value and we appreciate everything you've done for us. I mean, if Daniel Day Lewis is really retired, that would be somebody I would say, can we, how can we figure it out how to change that? Like, 
That would be one. Yeah, I mean, God, who else would we give a tribute? Who would be the who Ke- would be the Keanu Dan Reeves Lewis character? That's yeah, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Keanu, yeah. Ah, the Point Break. What a great one. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. There's so many great actors and actresses. Who would be the Daniel Day Lewis character that would be like the character he talks to that like screams at him and talks to him about himself? Would it be like like Lincoln? Lincoln, I was Bill the Butcher. Well, oh yeah, yeah. Well, we made a that's a character, and Nick specifically on that didn't want to play a character in his film. So I think it would maybe just be a guy like cobbling away, like on his shoes, you know, and (laughs) just being like, I think you're making terrible choices. But that, yeah. But does Daniel Day Lewis make (laughs) bad choices? Oh yeah, Daniel Plainview is that? Yes, yes, that's yes. what I was thinking. Like he's just drinking a milkshake the whole movie. Yeah. That'd have been awesome. <laughs> all right, so let's get to Nikki uh, as a character because to go all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, uh, that character works really well on paper, but you don't know until you start trying to pull it off uh, whether it's going to to play the way that you want it to play. Essentially, so at what point did you finally accept that? Oh, this is going to work. We can actually we can actually lean into this and 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 it's going to be what we want it to be. Well, it's funny. The first part of your 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 statement there about it working on paper and we don't know how it's going to was the exact conversation we had with the head of the studio who was like, I have zero (laughs) confidence you guys are going to be able to pull this off. Okay, let's see what happens. And we we didn't really know. And we were constantly shaping that character. But one of the things that Nikki allowed Nick to do is because I'm interested in naturalistic performances that are smaller and kind of more nuanced. And Nick is, of course, an expressionistic actor who's interested in these larger-than-life characters and moments. He, he, was, he was able to channel a lot of that energy into Nicky while giving us a version of Nick that felt a little bit more grounded and real, uh, you know, except for the moments where he decided to go, you know, full cage that we had talked about, like when he's on the wall on acid or whatever. But, you know, that 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 allowed to have this kind of split. So you got different versions of Nick Cage because there's two of them. And but it did take uh, it did take some culling. We had a little bit too much of Nikki at the beginning and we had to yeah. find the right level that audiences uh, felt like they would accept and not tire of that character's uh, shtick in the story. Yeah, they were like maybe that's th- nonsense. I would watch an entire movie of <laughs> <laughs> entire movie. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. I I don't disagree. Um, and then there were a couple moments where we thought I'll give you an example. When Nick is uh, going to quit acting and he's walking down the hallway, uh, you can see that the framing is slightly off because it was framed to have Nicky following him. There was a scene between the two of them where he's going, oh. yeah, well, and and uh, and we decided in that moment that it was just better story-wise to be with Nick, to understand that he's bottoming out, to understand that he's deeply depressed and not be trying to land like this this somewhat comic idea of a voice in your head giving you terrible advice. So there were certain things that we were just like, ah, we didn't know how it was going to work and story-wise thought mm-hmm. it was correct. And I mean, We to- did cut a pretty funny scene, or we had to kind of cut a funny scene where young Nick shows up um, in the section when they're writing their screenplay and coming up with the ideas. And basically his function was that anytime Javi, Javi would, would pitch an idea for his own character, young Nick would pop up and go, wait a minute, so wait, he gets to play kind of the Christ figure? And then, you know, Nick would immediately go like, well, so maybe like there should be like dueling Christ figures. Um, and it was, it was fun. It was just a little like, it just slowed, it, it was a pace issue again. 
Yeah, and I, I was the uh, guy yesterday. I'm sorry for asking you if you called it decaging. Uh, when you were <laughs> de-caging. Yeah, I apologize for that. Don't apologize. Deaging. I mean, I there's so our show is so filmmaker focused that there's a shot that I wanted to bring up to you again because I think it's brilliant and I think people will look out for it. It's my favorite shot in the whole film. Um, I'm hoping that Nigel was there on this day to do this shot in person. But uh, there's a moment when they're looking up at obviously the figure of, of Castro Troy with the golden guns and we get the, the camera comes around and we perfectly align with Nick Cage's reflection with the actual figure. Um, and it's like a beautiful moment because as somebody like I told you, uh, I love that teaser trailer for Face Off when it starts on Cage and goes around or starts on Travolta and goes around to Cage. Um, but that shot in particular, can you talk to our audience about how you pulled that off, how you kept the camera? from getting into the reflection that's a really hard shot but also it's brilliant it's a perfect shot oh thank you yeah i was i i had been dead set on that idea because i had it in my mind that like this was the concept of the film and i and i I don't understand marketing that well. So I was like, this could be the trailer. You just play this one shot coming around. I'm like, this is it. Nick Cage becoming the characters that he played in the, you know, early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. He's becoming the hero. And I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. So, you know, we started there and the idea for it came, I was watching Paris, Texas, where you're getting the reflection in the glass when they're, uh, when they're, when they're talking to each other and you can see both faces and they're kind of lined up. So that was, that is a movie that I love and I think is beautiful. And that was the inspiration for it. And then we just had to figure out how to pull it off. And I, I, I will say this, we, did, we had tried a couple of times to start where the shot you see starts and come around, Nick. But it ended up working. We had to start with the faces aligned. And then there was a circular dolly around the case. And we just oh. moved the camera and just cheated the angles a little bit on the glass so that we could uh, that you wouldn't catch all of the camera. And there were little remnants and things that showed up that we had to digitally take care of. But it was uh, that's how the entire thing came together. Oh, what a shot, man. It's so per- it's it's literally the movie. You're right. It's the movie. It, it's the movie. <laughs> okay. And the, the, yeah. the, 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 my favorite thing about it, and I'm, I'm sort of a fan of sli- like slightly imprecise filmmaking and they don't actually line up. They're just slightly <laughs> off. And it's an idea oh. that I find to be very funny. They're like and it's just like he's not quite becoming that guy, you know, and it's like, oh, well, about- the figure melted. Yeah, to exactly. Be fair. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, one of the things this this movie proves to me is that Nick Cage has to have a really great sense of humor about himself, particularly like the first act. It's a lot of jokes about the status of his career. Not that we went anywhere. Maybe there are a couple of jokes at the expense of like his financial situation. I'm sort of curious, were there any jokes that you kind of went like, oh, maybe we're going a little too far making fun? Like maybe we should scale it back a little bit. And because anytime like an actor goes on SNL and makes fun of themselves, I think that's the greatest thing. And it says a lot about who they are as a person. And I'm sort of curious, was there anything that you like? Maybe we scale this back down from 11. I mean, I think I, I don't have one in mind, but I will say that kind of what made this performance really special, I think, was that, you know, we did work on the first act in terms of calibrating how bad of a father he was. But when once the script was locked and we were going to do it, Nick was so committed to it that he was kind of willing to go full at it. But because he was so committed, he it was like hard for him. I remember when we were doing the scene with the daughter in the, in the therapy um, room, mm. and that was something that like, 
he just was dreading, I remember, because yeah. it was, you know, it was like he knew that he was he was going to have to call upon um, some real emotions from his own life and, yeah. and he because he, he was going to play it as real as he could. And he knew that in that scene he was going to have to portray this kind of father that he's not really. But we're all not the fathers we always want to be. So, you know what I mean? Like, in, so, like, I always found that fascinating that he was, like, always willing to play this character, but then also bring parts of his, his of himself to all of it. Wow. Yeah, those are the more. Yeah, there's no script to parenting might be my favorite line in the movie, actually. <laughs> right, oh, <yes>. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he, he you know, th- for us, it was th- those were the most interesting moments, the intersection of real Nick and, and actual Nick. And I'd said that you can write those lines and they make us laugh, and then you can give them to Nick and you can go, I hope that he's not offended by this. And then you get to set and you actually have to put cameras and a crew around him and we have to stand there and Nick has to perform these sometimes raw vulnerable ideas that like about himself and like that became deeply uncomfortable and fragile but I think it's the thing that makes people very interested in his performance in this film yeah Kevin I'm going to ask you about a joke that's very specific uh, and it doesn't occur till sort of the end of the film so I'm going to dance around it because it's a spoiler but you have a payoff when someone gets rescued by Nick Cage that they are surprised that they're being rescued rescued by Nick Cage. Was that joke always there? Because when that happened, I think I laughed the hardest in the entire film. Yeah, that I believe was there. And Katrine Vankova is the actress and she, you know, isn't on screen that much. But my God, she we we got lucky. You know, she has a smaller part, but she's really talented young actor who is so kind of a great captivating movie face but then so funny and and i agree like that is one of the the biggest laughs in the film the great payoff it's true and i think we work really hard at um like uh basically our setups and payoffs and paying off certain ideas that come back nick's audition speech things things like we were big fans of the idea that the things that we talk about earlier in the movie come back to affect both the plotting and landing jokes and so those are things that we uh, oftentimes find towards the end of the writing of the script and then insert them. And, and uh, from a filmmaking point of view, they're so important to us. It makes you feel like very taken care of within the narrative. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you guys how far any of these ideas may have gotten in terms of bringing other actors from other Nick Cage movies into the world. Like, was Travolta ever a part of conversation of having some face-off bit uh, where he returns somehow? Well, this was the thing we, we talked a lot about. We, yeah. we didn't want to have actors from Nick's movies in this thing because we felt that it potentially became confusing because Nick mm-hmm. is playing Nick, but like all of the other actors you know are not playing themselves. So we're like, what world right. does this actually take place in? Mm-hmm. And then if there's actors yeah. from Nick's movies who are in there, you know, you have uh, whomever, Gina Gershon playing his wife, and you're like, well, they've worked together five or six times or something, you know, and you're going, what's the reality? Like, what is this? Like, if we're referencing movie ideas, but people from those movies are in the film, that sort of breaks down like this. It, it didn't, didn't work for us script wise. So we actually had to find people that hadn't worked with Nick before. Which is hard to do. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. <laughs> really yeah. interesting. Yeah. We, we did everybody in. Yeah. yeah. 
I know the the first draft of we talked about this yesterday um, that the first draft of the screenplay uh, he was auditioning for Quentin Tarantino that it was a Quentin, Quentin Tarantino was going to be the director before David Gordon Green he really wanted this this role in a Quentin Tarantino movie do you have any details on like what the role was going to be or what the Tarantino film was that he really so badly wanted to be a part of uh oh yeah (laughs) we do yeah we yeah we had a funny we had a funny scene written at one point because it was basically the idea that he was like a some kind of whaling captain from boston (laughs) and so we had written a very funny scene at one point that i really enjoyed that nick goes to to practice his accent he goes up to like Santa Barbara to go whale watching (laughs) and he's kind of trying to get people he's speaking in a Boston accent and like having conversations with like a mother who and he's going like so where are you from and she says wherever and he's like so uh where do you think I'm from and (laughs) she's like Boston and he's like okay (laughs) (laughs) but the the comedy scene he's like where do you think I'm from and she's like I don't I don't really care you know and he's like come on just take a guess and he's He's like like, just come on like Listen, well, just, right. just take one guess. You know, just like, How oh, are you? Boston, and he was like, close, Framingham, yeah, or whatever, right. you know, whatever, whatever the city. And we kept, and it just made us laugh. And then he went up to the boat, the whaling boat captain's yeah. office, remember that? And he's like, um, would you mind if I drive the boat? And the guy's like, I don't give a shit. And he just leaves. And the studio's like, Yeah, guys. And uh, he's just sitting there, not driving. It's just going somewhere. We were like, ah, uh, yeah. I think we turned in the draft, and they were like, you know, the act one is a little long. And, and they're like, I mean, everybody was like, guys, so you clearly have to cut the whaling The whaling captain scene? Like, yeah, yeah. What are, you, okay. what are you doing? I never knew how badly I really wanted to see a Quentin Tarantino whaling captain Boston movie. And it now, sounded now, great right? to see this. It sounds, it sounds fantastic. <laughs> it sounds, it's aesthetic he hasn't um, done. I, I, I want to just know, this may seem like such a basic question, um, but are you guys still able to enjoy Nick Cage movies? <laughs> or is the immersion sort of just killed that buzz for right now? I mean, for me, yes, absolutely. He goes so deep into these characters that he's playing. Like, I just, uh, you know, recently watched Pig and... I got a chance to meet Michael, the director, and we, we were talking about it. And, like, I, I loved his film, and I loved Nick's performance in it. And it's so wildly and completely different than anything that we did in our film that it's, like, it's so easy for me to enjoy that. Like, he's Nick is just, you know, he's immersive. Yeah, I, I, I can still watch it. I mean, it's like, you know, there are actors who only have a certain amount of tricks I would call them and you start <clears throat> you start seeing them but like, like which actors kind but I mean Nick's just there's just so many that you can just you, you, you get lost I still get lost in, in stuff yeah there was like a, a, a little line that I liked because I'm, I'm a featurette blu-ray uh, fan, I watch them all the time, and you, there's a joke in the movie about like the the making of featurette of National Treasure for like the running sequence, um, which I found really great because <laughs> I, I I love those moments. Um, really it, when, when this comes to Blu-ray and home media, what is the making of featurette this behind the scenes aspect that's going to be the coolest to see? I wonder, you know, I haven't seen all of the footage that we have. We have, like, EPK footage from the, sh- the shooting of the movie, but, like, everything felt so intense at the time we were making it. But I wonder what is going to be the coolest yeah, I part know. of that. I mean, there's so many fun moments of just, like, you know, watching 
Nick watched the footage of Nikki because it was split screen, you know? So it's like Nick watching Nick act with Nick on the monitor. And there's like <laughs> shots that just like, you know, it's sort of become this weird metaverse of Nicolas Cage's, you know, and, you know, you know, I'm not, I don't know. I'm actually curious to see myself. I am too. I mean, I, we were joking that there was a moment at the beginning of this, of this process where I was like, I really should just record every moment of this on my iPhone. Like when we first kind of got the call that it was happening, I was like, I started filming and I was like, maybe I should just oh. document this whole thing. Cause I, yeah. know, I know, I know. But yeah. then I went, you know what? No, I gotta like, I gotta be in it. I gotta, I gotta be present. I think Kevin was filming me cause we got a call from a studio that brought us in and they said, Hey, we want to make this movie. We're going to give you the money. We're going to buy the script and we'll give you X, Y, Z to make it. And we thought it never happens like this, right? It doesn't happen this easily. And we were like on the back celebrating at that. As soon as we got home and then we get a call, he's not doing the movie. And we're like pouring the drink back into the bottle <laughs> kind of thing. Just like, Oh shit. And we were yeah. like, this is going to be a roller coaster. And we're like, all right, we have to figure out a way to get him back on board. And it was like back to strategizing. And it was just, just an up and down, up and down experience all the way through. Um, but wow. yeah, we very quickly had to put our phones away from filming this and get back to thinking about how we could get them on board. Wow. Guys, if you cannot tell, all three of us genuinely love this movie. We've loved having this conversation. It's really just felt like like a bunch of friends just hanging out, talking about Nick Cage, which is the best kind of conversation in the world. So seriously, we appreciate you taking uh, taking the time to chat with us. Appreciate you guys having us on. Yeah, Thank you so much. Really fun. Enjoy it. Thank you so much to Tom and Kevin for stopping by and joining the show. In a way, I feel a little bit bad for those guys for the amount of time that they have had to talk about Nick Cage. And I know that, that comes with the territory, right? You sign up for this movie. You're going to ask you're going to be asked and answer a lot of Nick Cage questions. Uh, and I thought they handled it really well. I mean, uh, but how is that really any different than like, man, at the at the Thor junket, Chris Hemsworth really had to talk about Thor a lot like it. it I mean, that's that's the topic. That's that's it. That's your that's the bit. It is. No, but th sure. this is so Nick Cage. I can see what I see what you're saying. Like there's like it is it's a lot of Nick Cage discussion and like <laughs> and, and, and to a point where I think it would probably make Nick Cage uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. I don't think he likes talking about himself that much. You know what I mean? Well, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because Kevin and I did the junket for um, a limited series called The Offer yesterday. And I actually was wondering because Kevin and I were fairly early in the day and the show is about the making of the Godfather. And I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if like halfway through the day, the cast is going to be like, I am sick of talking about the Godfather. <laughs> I'm just, I'm over it. So yeah, to your point, I get that. What's actually funny is like my, every interview I did for that, I don't even think we ever talked about the Godfather. Oh, that's, oh, that's weird. All, that's what I, <laughs> that's know, I talked. Well, cause I used like jumping points. Like for example, and, and this is not a spoiler or anything, but when the show comes out, you know, it's about the making of the Godfather. So you're going to see filming of other famous things that on those sets at that time. Um, so I use those as launching pads to like have the cast talk about famous scenes. They would like to have gone back and seen filmed in right. general. Is that um, interview? Are your interviews up yet? No, 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 no. I just, no. I just got I, my links today. I'll put them up later. The, the show yeah. did inspire me. I've never read the book before. And so I actually just bought, the book. I was I've never read it. Oh, yeah. So there you go. Um, so I'm excited to plow through this. Does, does the book consist of all three of the stories? I don't, or is, I is don't it just the first so. one. My understanding is it's, it's just, just it's one. just the first one um, because so, I, wow. I, and feel free to cut this out at the end of the limited series. They start talking about what the idea for two possibly could be. Okay. Oh, well, that's history. Okay. So my, yeah. So my understanding is it's just yeah. just the first movie. Yeah. And I because I, 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 it's interesting because I rewatched 
the the three godfathers recently um and i, and I actually uh purposely in my life never watched the third one um because i was always just i just always heard it was such a down step from one and two um and i just kind of avoided it so i ended up watching the coda watch version coda? i would say did you watch coda or the theatrical? yeah so i watched coda um and i'll keep this brief but weirdly enough i i, I think godfather part two is still my favorite of the of the three um i think one is the masterpiece because brando is just so perfect and you can't get away from the sunny death uh the michael restaurant scene i mean there's just mm. too many moments but i love two because i think two flows better from mm. a pacing standpoint i like the back and forth i would argue and this is going to be a bit of a hot take that pacino gives his best performance as michael oh, in interesting three. interesting in three. interesting well, he, has, he has more to work with too because he has more to like think about what michael say. and i also don't think three is i mean it's not it's, a it's, not, it's not as bad. bad it's not as bad as everyone my, my only problem with three is that Col- Sophia Coppola, who I love, a phenomenal filmmaker, yeah. um, I just thought she was out of place in terms of the caliber of acting that she was doing against who she was against. Sure. And, but I will say the final scene, in, the final moment in Coda, I don't I won't spoil it, but there's a moment where Pacino has like a really emotional reaction to a scene that has got to be Pacino's best work as Michael. It has to be weirdly enough. Yeah, I don't know. It is really good. All right. Anyway. Um, going from the Godfather franchise to the MCU, another very popular topic on our show, uh, because the first reactions uh, or the first look to Thor Love and Thunder finally dropped uh, it, to me personally. It a little bit felt like Marvel just got sick of being asked, where is it? Uh, and so they spliced together some footage because it doesn't show you a whole heck of a lot, which is fine for a 90 second teaser. Preferred. Um, and, you know, the the way that it was put together with some bits of the Guardians, which I think are going to be, uh, you know, in the first half of the film or the first chunk of the film. Uh, and then setting up the character that we got at the end of it. Are we going into spoilers? Can we talk about full on? Uh, reveal? It's a trailer. F- spoilers of the trailer. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, well, just the fact that you see Natalie Portman's Thor. Sure, um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. That's out there. Well, yeah. They just released a poster today with her. Oh, OK. It. There you go. I get that from a marketing perspective, but I wish I would have seen that moment on In screen the for the first time. Yeah, okay. uh, just because that the the hammer. I mean, for people who are listening, this is in the trailer. This is not a spoiler. We have not seen the film. Yes. Um, if you wanted to avoid things that happen in the trailer, skip the section that says we're going to talk. Yeah. About but the mo- <laughs> the moment the moment is like the, the, the tag in the trailer is basically kind of like Evans's moment in Endgame when the hammer comes into Evans's yeah. hands and, and yeah. like, which is such one of the it's one of the greatest cinematic moments ever. Um, I and, and Natalie Portman's been one of those characters in, in the MCU that I wished had continued more because I love the first Thor. And we, if you missed our tier list, uh, Brandon's first Thor is my favorite Thor of the, of the films. So that to me, emotionally, I would have loved to have had that moment not spoiled for me. <laughs> to I, be I agree with you, but I think. With regards to the trailer, well, but I think I think the cat was already out of the bag for that one because didn't she come out on stage? Yeah. And was like, I'm going to be. Yeah, but it wasn't like, but the moment of the hammer coming to her hand and then like her arm looks so badass. Marvel's pretty good about withholding stuff. So so anytime they show us something, it always makes me wonder, Okay, well, no, but it's not just that. But it's like, okay, if they're showing us that, what are they not showing us? I don't think she's going to go through the workouts to. For a misdirect. <laughs> yeah, we're waiting for the the Deadpool cameo will just be in the have to be in the movie then, right? Versus uh, uh, 
I always stand by the fact that I wish they protected um, Hulk being his opponent in Ragnarok. I think yeah. I've said that on the show right. before. That, that yeah. would have been fantastic. Now, a great reveal. Reveal. on a selfish, on a, uh, this is actually really funny since we have a video component. On a selfish uh, uh, um, time period of this particular conversation, when I, I did the Ragnarok junket, and I was happy that the Hulk reveal was in the trailer for the purposes of me asking about it at the junket, because you can't talk about things that you don't see. Sure, sure. Yeah. But I remember getting this amazing story from Hemsworth because the uh, he's a friend from work was actually a line that a kid gave him on the set who was there visiting that like had I don't remember what he was there for some reason, some special reason. It was he was there to tour the set that day. And I think that the, the kid threw the line out and that's the yeah, line that Chris yeah, ended up saying. Cool. I'll, I'll oh, find the fine. video. It's on my it's YouTube. Gonna be, it's going to be Kevin Feige's air watch. Right. No, but literally <laughs> there was like, like I'll, I'll have to find it's on. If you just search YouTube, Thor Ragnarok. Kevin McCarthy interviews. You'll, Hemsworth tells this incredible story about this kid. That line is from a fan, basically, cool. who was there visiting. It's a great but line. This, this is funny because uh, when I walked in the room, I guess a reporter before me had given this to Hemsworth. That's awesome. And so when I sat down, I think I had just interviewed Brolin for this movie called Only the Brave. I think I have the time period right. But I was wearing a Deadpool tie. And he was like, dude, you're wearing a Deadpool tie to a Thor interview? And he was like, he's like, here. And he handed me this. And I had to hold this over my tie the whole interview <laughs> like this. But what's funny now Wait, is that Deadpool gave it to you. Yeah, it's that, that poor reporter that brought that specifically for Chris Hemsworth <laughs> thinks that Chris Hemsworth has that poster right now. Well, and it's now, in your freaking basement. In the interview, in the interview, Chris gives it to me. Chris Hemsworth gives it to me. So it was almost like I was like, I, I was like, uh, OK. And like, I guess he was just making a joke. But now that That's Deadpool funny. Deadpool could possibly be in this one, like that whole interaction is just funny. You got to wear a Deadpool tie to this one. Oh, 100 percent. I'm like, that's if I if I get to talk to them for this one, I will. But as you guys know, as these Marvel films get more and more, they start taking away the main talent from a lot of these interviews. So I got Hemsworth for all the Avengers films, and all the Thor films and everything. But I don't know about this one. We'll see. Well, and we'll let you know, too, uh, since people do appreciate the behind the scenes of it all. Uh, yeah. Much like. Spider-Man No Way Home, we're going to be doing the Doctor Strange press, only oh. having seen a portion of the movie. Um, so for casual audience watching at home, that means that there are a lot of spoilers in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness that they don't trust the press to to protect. So we'll see. How One of the things that I keep hearing again, I don't uh, rumors are rumors. And then and, and this is still within the Thor Ragnarok discussion that we're having, um, because it's, it is interesting. We're kind of getting two massive Marvel films within like a month or so of each other May and July. Um, yeah. And it, it seems almost a bit like almost like, oh, wait, I almost forget which one's coming first. Um, but Doctor so, Strange with Sam Raimi directing. Yeah. And I've seen this online. I don't, I don't know if it's true, but if, if Toby's Spider-Man does have the ability to show up in this film, mm. I mean, that would mean we get Sam Raimi directing another Spider-Man scene again. Correct. Yes. Is that a, have you heard this rumor? I think that there's I've heard the rumor for sure. I think it's I think it's I would be willing to put it at 100 percent that it's not happening. Really? Well, but, I, but, but I, it, and Sean and I were talking about the, the Tom Cruise thing. I would say Tom Cruise is 100 percent not happening. I, I think that that's just online speculation. Wait a second. But if you're Sam Raimi and the No Way Home just opened up the multiverse. Sure. And we got Toby to come through and Toby goes back, we assume. Right. Um, theoretically, couldn't Doctor Strange jump to 
that universe and we could get a Spider-Man Raimi scene. That's the whole thing. It's you it could, could literally be anything. Why wouldn't yes. you do that? But it's Sam Raimi. It's Maybe. true. It's and, too, and, it's too easy. And you could argue this too. You could say that while he's in Atlanta filming all his No Way Home stuff, you stick him in front of a blue screen. <laughs> right. He reads a couple of lines <laughs> and you stick him into his old I mean, apartment from the from the previous trilogy. If you watch the scene at the end of the Thor Ragnar, a Thor Love and Thunder trailer where Natalie Portman catches the hammer, I again this is I just just a, a educated guess. I bet you her and Hemsworth weren't even shooting in the same space no, that at that moment. It's like a shot sure. of Hemsworth looking at her and then her catching it. Most of these films, that's why I said this in the show last week. It's amazing how they get it done and make it look the way they do when all these right. people are in different places and different things. And um, months anyway, apart. so I'm just I, I, Sam Raimi doing another Spider-Man shot just to kind of give him that credibility back because everyone didn't love three. I kind of like three, but it's fine. But like one and two are so great to give him one more chance, almost like giving Garfield his chance to re mm-hmm. get get his character back uh, in a good spot. So. Any final thoughts point on the, the trailer, though, for Thor? Well, the use of the classic Thor costume made me really happy. I, him running. I, I know it's song. brief, just him running. Well, that, you don't that, like Sweet Child that, of Mine? It's classic. It's, 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 but it's but, that, too, but it's, that goes with the whole Ragnarok vibe that you don't like. Like, I, I loved it because it reminded me of the Ragnarok vibe. I love that song. Yeah, so, so let's give our thoughts on the trailer. Jake, go ahead. No, I, I thought it was a fantastic trailer, but because it leans into what I loved about Ragnarok. Um, I, I love that. It looks like we're going to get like a cheesy eighties montage of him working out. You know, yeah. like I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I got a legitimate, yeah, but like in this, it's like making fun of it in the sense. And they're like it, within the MCU. Like, I just think, and I, I think Taika is going to do it in a really interesting way. Um, I, and granted we're talking 90 seconds. I legit, laughed out loud at the like look in the eyes of the people that you love and then that and then did he, like, not comes in, oh, make me I, laugh oh i laughed all. hard oh i laughed hard see I, this I, is i love right. hemsworth like just just having fun with this part see now now, <laughs> now we're starting to dig into like the differences of what we well, like the humor. And it's, it's been very well established that that i like i like funny thor and you don't like funny thor i don't like fat so, thor but i like funny thor so here's my here's my fat argument pretty funny that. though here's yeah, my argument towards be. that if you watch any of the comedy between Thor and Chris Pratt in the Avengers films that the Russo brothers directed, those beats make me laugh so hard. But when I see Taika do it with with both of them, it do, it didn't make me laugh. So I don't know if it's a tonal thing, but like remember at the end of Endgame when they're on the ship together yeah. and they're joking about that thing that was hilarious. But like tonally it worked like that bit oh. about the eyes thing didn't make me laugh at all. I want to point that out too. The reason that the Guardians are in this movie um, is because Guardians three. If we not have to go all the way back now to when it was supposed to drop, I think Guardians three was supposed to be the the next film after Far From Home. Um, and then Ooh. because James Gunn got fired, uh, it so it went Endgame and then Far From Home, and then what ended up being the next? Oh, then they went they went to Black Widow. They went with Black Widow because the timeline was so Thor leaves with the Guardians uh, at the end of Endgame. He, I think that the next movie, that May movie, the following year was supposed to be Guardians three, which would have had Thor in it. So Thor would have been in a Guardians movie. Oh, then James Gunn gets fired. Um, he's off. He gets rehired. But in the meantime, they shuffle. So they shuffle Black Widow over. They shuffle Eternals over. No Way Home happens. And now the next thing you get around to is a Thor movie that has to put the Guardians into it. So it's it's I find that kind of interesting how they how they shuffle those decks. And I, I, I dig the 80s like He-Man vibe. Like to me, this feels like the, the closest we've gotten to a live action He-Man 
movie in the modern era. Y'all know that's Russell Crowe catching the the yeah, lightning yeah. bolt too. And, right? and, yeah. and we didn't get it and we didn't get a look at um Christian Bale, which Christian I'm kind of Bale's excited. I kind of hope that they hold off on that. Like honestly, yeah. like I'm good. Do we need enough? We don't I know we're gonna get one and I'll press play on it when it comes out, but we don't really need another trailer. Last thought on this trailer though is it it was it was exactly what I expected it to be. It didn't surprise me. I think that's fair. That's all. All right. Uh let's uh throw it to an ad break. We're gonna pay some bills and we'll see you guys on the other side. What bills do we have? My salary. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And we are back talking about films that are opening for you guys to check out this weekend Uh, on Netflix. There's a movie called Along for the Ride. Unfortunately, the three of us have not been able to see that yet. But if you're uh, looking for something on the streaming service, that is a new film that is dropping. We also have an animated movie for the families out there who went to see Sonic. Uh, You now have another option. You can go see the bad guys. Jake caught up with that. I thought it looked kind of funny jakey how's yeah, it playing yeah it's, it's one of those and again i always try to look through this through the prism of like if you're a parent who takes your kid to go see it yeah i mean the opening scene alone is an animated remake of the diner scene from pulp fiction that right. sort of what? tells you like <laughs> where it's one of those things where like if you know you know and if you yeah, don't yeah. you don't um it's it's framed like that last shot where the uh jules and vincent like get up when everyone's like terrified in the diner, like not moving. And, you know, they 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 get up and like they're still having their conversation as they walk out of the diner. Like that's sort of the opening scene, but it's animated with animals. So it's that like there's there's a lot of like jokes in the movie that's like that are. Yes, they're for kids. It's a family film. It should be. Uh, But there are also a lot of like fun little embedded jokes in there. Like, you know, if you know, you know, for adults kind of thing. I thought it was cute. I thought it was funny. There are actually a couple of moments that actually ought to be audibly made me laugh out loud. Um, I mean, I I, Sam Rockwell is, is one of the voices. Who are the other? He's voices? the lead. Um, okay. uh, Mark Maron, Craig Robinson, um, okay. uh, uh, Zazie Beetz, who is fantastic. Oh, okay. Aquafina. Um, so it's a really good cast. Everyone does a great job. I I enjoyed it. Also, I, I want to point out that the concept of it is actually really cool because I, I, and I we talk a lot on this show about layered villains and how there's no good and bad and and in the sense of like people are layered and complicated. Um, and I think the you know one of the great things about the idea for this film is it kind of like hopefully will give kids this concept of it's not black and white. It's it, it, the people are layered. They do things for a reason. That's why we always say it's interesting that Killmonger's arc in Black Panther is fascinating because the guy killed over 100 people or whatever, but we still care for him. So I think this is a good representation in terms of like what it means to be layered and 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 not have like this like, oh, I'm just a bad guy who wants to take over the world. Like, you know, I think one of the greatest examples of that is probably the the spoof uh, that Mike Myers did with um, Austin Powers, Dr. Mm-hmm. Evil. It was like that's just like a classic 
dark villain with like no like like there's he has, you know what i mean and there's like there's really no layer to it he's just playing that bit um but i like i do like this concept of like understanding an arc of somebody's life and why they become the way they are and then this in this example they're probably trying to be good i would imagine Not that just i'm based breaking on... any ground but you know who's probably the most layered villain thanks to the way that they were handled in pop culture darth vader That'd be Anakin Skywalker, oh, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, Vader's. So interestingly, that's a great one. Vader's. <gasps> so the moment that that hit me for sure, like because Empire and New Hope, he's pretty much a villain, I argue. Absolutely. But it's yeah. but it, one of the Return of the Jedi seen on screen. Yeah. But the, but the Return of the Jedi reveal with the mask off, like, like I actually felt for him. I felt bad for him. And, and then. You know, say what you want about the prequels, but they give that so much more context, right? Like they they give you they give especially the, you know, from Phantom Menace to Revenge of the Sith and like what happens to that kid in between. And then, yeah, because that's the thing. Darth Vader, you're right. Like in the first two, it's like this guy is horrible, like like horrible. But then you go, oh, I actually get I, I, know, I think actually think it's most exemplified in the teaser poster for phantom menace which is with one of my favorite shadow. posters of all time yeah it's 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 really anakin is a little boy looking down with the shadow of darth vader against the wall and it just said the tagline oh, yeah. is is never look back you know and i just you know thought what? that was that tells you everything it's a masterful poster it's yeah. like honestly like it's literally the whole arc of yeah. his character in yeah. a poster yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's Kevin was talking about um redemption for like toby Maguire and sam sam um Raimi. Uh, Hayden Christensen, I think, is going to get some redemption uh, yes. when he's in the Ewan McGregor show or the Obi-Wan yeah. uh, yep. and, and he gets to play out Anakin Skywalker again. I think people are going to yep. realize, I hope, I hope that people realize that he's a better actor than he got a lot yeah. of credit for. Yeah, if you've never seen him in Shattered Glass, you're missing yeah. an incredible film and an example of how good of an actor he really is. And also, like one thing about what's fascinating, and this is kind of how our culture is at the moment, is like we really like these stories of like bringing back somebody who maybe like didn't get a chance to like play the role properly and then give mm-hmm. them the floor and good. Right. I mean, Andrew Garfield's probably the biggest example of that, because his right Spider-Man now, sure. films were essentially kind of written off. Um, and, and, and then he comes back and he's like a fan favorite now and everyone wants Amazing Spider-Man three. So I I. I wouldn't be surprised if like like you said we're gonna see like this hayden christensen like resurgence where he's like sure everyone's favorite and like we're gonna go back and like look <laughs> at two and three and go oh he wasn't that well two no three three the lord vader rise moment still is awesome so he i got I'm, stuck with bad dialogue unfortunately he got, he so got natalie, bad portman. And bad di- natalie portman did two exactly 100 percent oh and there's so great actors in those movies they're just and again this is this is a broader discussion we could have at another point that's why i don't think george lucas is a great director i think mm-hmm. lucas is a great idea person he's a great uh thematic and i and and you know production person but i just don't think he's a good director i really don't and i don't no. mean that in a bad way i just i think he's perfectly fine i, I think him and eastwood are probably on the same level for me in terms oh, of I like direction that directed than that but that's okay. that's a conversation for another but lucas day. is um, not a great director does anybody think he's a great director no but i'm not sure that, that I, th- I think he's make a, that argument but i think he's a brilliant storyteller storyteller right. yeah, is the word yeah. right and because he's, he's a visionary in terms of special yeah. effects like but i mean that he's famous the famously his direction effects. to uh for anakin or for uh hayden christensen hayden christensen tells the story i think he was sick or something so i'm not, i 
I love George Lucas, but he famously had a sign that said more or less. And he would give a, he would give a, he would, he would do a take and he like couldn't talk. So he would just point to more or less, <laughs> like that was, which to be fair, though, you should do that for the podcast. To be fair, though, I kind of do, you know, I've got gestures, but uh, to be fair, though, with the, you know, again, not throwing Hayden Christensen on the bus, but with the right actor, that could be all you need. You know, I feel like if you go up to Daniel Day-Lewis and he's giving you this entire yeah. personality, and you say more, yeah. he could probably give you a whole yeah. new book on this Absolutely. person. Because it was, wasn't, wasn't uh, DiCaprio offered the role of, of Anakin and he turned it down? And it just makes me wonder, like, yeah, I, I fully believe that, like, the lines, particularly for episode two, that Hayden was given are not great. And it would Oof. take a brilliant actor to, to, to make those lines work. But DiCaprio is a brilliant actor. So would DiCaprio have been able to make the sand monologue work or is it just is that just is that actor proof it was a different dicaprio at the time as well i think maybe we're we're a little jaded by some of his best performances showing well after that are we gonna get some weird like jar jar binks resurgence with obi-wan i don't think so no because i think he's on tatooine and and that's where yeah, where's Jar Jar? Literally, he's in the deleted files on the computer that they <laughs> no, use like, to, like, to, to put the movies together. In the Obi Wan series, Senate. where where Isn't is he, he part of the Galactic Senate? Well, there, there was a rumor that he was going to show up, and he's I love to. this idea. That, that well, it's, it's someone I read somewhere that they confirmed it's not happening, but but I'd read a story, and I thought this was brilliant that he was going to show up. Obi Wan was going to run into him, and he was basically going to be sad, depressed, disheveled, <laughs> homeless. No, but but if you follow it, whenever he realizes that, if you think about it, he's kind of at fault for putting Palpatine. In power, you know, he's the one that like trusts Palpatine and and makes the motion in the Galactic Senate to put Palpatine in power. And he kind of the the, the storyline was going to be sort of this like the bumbling fool realizes the error of his ways. And Mm. it's just like very. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that could be brilliant. And that's a correction. Yeah, that could like make people in the same way that like Rogue One. explained. (laughs) (laughs) The the role is going to be reprised with. uh, With Willem Dafoe in the uh... see, what you guys aren't realizing is we're going to be getting they're going to the, the world we live in right now. They're going to they're going to put Jar Jar in Obi Wan. He's going to become a big fan favorite, and then we're going to get sure. a Jar Jar series. No, they're going to give us a uh, baby Jar Jar. That's what they do on Disney Plus. <laughs> as long as it's somewhere Jar-Goo. in the baby Jar Jar series, they explain how he like convinced Palpatine to swipe right on Ray's grandmother. Oh Jesus! to be connected. So. What if like the Jar Jar series is like the best series that Disney Plus has ever made? It's like I just want to know what the Star Wars universe uh, dating app is called. That's a that's going to be a great rabbit Hold hole. Hold on, of. do you know what would melt the internet, Ryan? Johnson's Jar Jar Binks series. Oh. <laughs> that, people wouldn't be able to, that would honestly destroy Twitter. He like, should tweet like, that. He should tweet that for April Fool's one year. That would be man. Really, really funny. Ten part series on Jar Jar from Ryan Johnson. Oh. Anyway, the bad guys opens in theaters this Friday. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long um, rant from wow. Vader. So does uh, Robert Eggers' film The Northman. So make sure you go back and check out our interview with Robert on uh, it dropped on Wednesday, but it's available wherever your podcast needs are met. Wherever you're I, listening to this, scroll I down. I love this movie. It. I thought the Northman was great. And this sure. we're going to probably yeah. disagree on this. But um, to me, I it's my favorite of Robert Eggers films because I, I don't love, love 
the witch or the lighthouse. I think that they're good. I think I'm, um, a, I'm a witch man. Not not to yeah. not to dismiss by no means by Those no means warlocks. to dismiss the Those North are called man. warlocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm very well. Sorry, I love um, I love the witch. Um, and uh, so so yeah, but but I'm sorry, got it. I interrupted, but well, I I think they're bo- I like them both, but I loved the North. Man. Sure, um, sure. And so wait, where so are we? I don't, he, I don't remember. Where are we? Because I was I thought I was in the minority of not loving the lighthouse. I don't I like love the it. lighthouse. I didn't love I it either. OK, yeah, I, th- I think it's. Interesting. But we all agree it's his it's third place. Yes, for me, it is. Uh, lighthouse third. Yeah, yeah I, I, third? I, I go witch Northman lighthouse. Same, same. OK, and I'd have to revisit the witch. But I right now I put Northman above it. But so when he <laughs> describes it as his 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 popcorn flick, like I know we were uh, <laughs> saying, like, what does that even mean? Kind of thing. Can Robert Eggers make a popcorn flick? But I do think this is one of his most accessible. Like if you are into. Yeah. Game of Tandle. Thrones and storytelling like that. Um, it is a souped up version of that. Yeah, uh, it is him just diving in with both feet and and giving you like from the minute that this film starts, I felt uh, the cold and and I felt the the water that they're riding in on and the music plays a big part of it. And when they go through the ceremonies, uh, these, you know, ancient Viking rituals uh, for this young boy to become a man. And Ethan Hawke is growling at Willem Dafoe. Farting and I was and just burping. In. Yeah, I'm just in. At that point, I was like, all right, this is what this is. And I'm riding with it. Uh, and it gets super intense. And he's a great filmmaker. So it has a lot of um, solid technique to it. And we talked about in the interview with him, uh, if you go back and listen to it, his choice for visual camera movements and, uh, you know, just embracing the elements. You know, I don't think that Nicole Kidman is getting enough attention because it's hard to talk about her part without Mm -hmm. giving away some important elements about her character. And I want to stay away from those as much as possible. But I want to say I thought she was fantastic. Uh, And listen, again, not breaking ground. Hey, Nicole Kidman was good in a movie. Um, But I think there are a lot of times when she's still good in a movie, but I always see like, oh, it's Nicole Kidman. This was one of those times that I just forgot. Like I got completely engrossed in the world and and her performance. And I thought that she seems so unlike a role she would take. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. Her her performance in Northman. And and again, this is nothing to do with thematics or story. It kind of reminds me of how. Kate Blanchett's performance in Nightmare Alley got a little bit buried. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Because like I thought that was one of Blanchett's best performances of her whole career. Like it blew my mind how great she was. Like I, I, I wish we spent more time in, in that office with her character. Um, and I don't know why just now as you were talking about Nicole Kidman and kind of like later on how she's a bigger part of the story. But I, it's funny now that I think back on the Northman, just like Nightmare Alley, I almost forget about how much I loved Kidman or how much I loved Kate Blanchett in mm-hmm. uh, Nightmare Alley. It's kind of a weird thing because like they're both kind of in the second, more second half of the of both films in a, in a mm-hmm. thematic way. Um, but they're both phenomenal. I know, I know it's a weird transition, but they're but Kidman is no, but so I get, damn good. I mean, in the movie. both in the sense that they're both a list Oscar winners who right. Don't really. I mean, we get so in in both of those films, we get so much movie mm-hmm. before they really become a right, massive absolutely. part of the story. That's so, the point I'm making. Yeah. 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 No, it makes sense. 
And with Northmen, you can go through uh, Alexander Skarsgård and Anya Taylor-Joy and then Eggers even too. Like people yeah. discuss his his filmmaking before you even get to the point. Oh, and then also Nicole Kidman's in it, you know, right. <laughs> he's like such a massive talent and Defoe and Ethan Hawke and all these people that you can mention. So I loved it. I gave it four and a half out of five. Um, I just thought it was if you're looking for and this is an unusual recommendation, but if you're heading out to the theaters looking for uh, a brutal Viking film, I don't think that they come uh, much better than this. Yes, Gabriel. I, I wanted to add my two cents because I did get a chance to see this one um, and I, I, I want to rewatch it um, maybe this week now that it's out. Um, and, but I want to go back as well to The Witch and maybe even The Lighthouse, even though I saw that more recently. There's something about Eggers where I, I love his filmmaking. I love his choices. Everything is really interesting. It's very unique and it feels like he has a very distinct point of view that he's approaching the material from. And I and and that's intriguing. That's always intriguing and for me entertaining. But there's there's and I I really want to rewatch The Witch because because I feel I can't remember quite my reaction emotionally to The Witch. I, I just rewatched it actually last week um, because we actually the, the day we had him the day we recorded with Great him movie. inspired yeah. me and it's my, I actually think I liked it more this time than I did when I because I hadn't seen it since theaters. I go that down that long road to say that I, I, the only thing that that. Um, my only critique really of the Northman is that I didn't, I didn't have an emotional reaction to it. It never mm-hmm. like swept me away. It never pulled Can at I me emotionally. It how never... much of that, like, since it is like, it is the, correct me if I'm wrong. This, this story came for, this is the story that inspired Shakespeare to write Hamlet. And oh, is that um, true? that's that. I, 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 I think that, he, so. I, so from what I under, for, I think what I heard and, and maybe, maybe we're conflating two different things, but, um, from what I understand, he and again, part of, like I say, his approach that I like, he set out and, and he often does with a, he, with his films to be very authentic. And if it has some sort of basis in history, to be very true to that. Um, and this he claims and, and it's being touted and, and it fe- seems to be true that this is the most accurate Viking story ever told. They went through great pains to sort of uh, uh, learn and study and have the correct sort of advisors to figure out the culture of the Vikings and tell the story and the characters as, as they would be from what we know. But the story um, itself is one that we've seen. I and mean, from what to, I understand, to dismiss it, it's like, it's, yes, you know, Lion like, King. you know, Lion King. And, you so, know, it's, it's, yeah, that's my, that's the point I'm getting at. He says that because he's telling this very strange, he's trying to put you in a culture that is so different and so odd and he wants to keep it real. He doesn't want, you know, again, I think that's part of maybe why I don't emotionally connect to it is because he's really interested in grounding it in this this culture that is so different than ours um that is so different from any of our time i mean um he says he he based it in he specifically calls out hamlet and the lion king so that, that there's this familiar basis where because it's his popcorn movie mm-hmm. a, an audience can come in and they can they can follow the story yeah. without him having to explain too right. much because they've sure. heard the story well, almost adjacent to that in a, in a somewhat similar way it's it's the same whenever people would come to me and would complain about the story of Dune and they would say, well, Dune, Dune is just a very yeah. Star Wars. Oh, I've seen that story <laughs> right, right. a thousand times. And I go, but well, it, it's, it was before Star Wars. Yeah. I do want to clarify. I do want to clarify. Sorry. Just if anyone was concerned that like, this is exactly Hamlet or exactly the Lion King that like we're telling, like there are spoiler. no lions. No, it's, it's, it's there. That's not a spoiler. It, the trailer does set up that like, it's a revenge flick about his father. A, a prince who comes back. And oh, that's, yeah. that's the, that's the basis that that's the basis that it, it jumps the Red Band on. trailer, I thought, gave away a number of really important. Oh, things. I don't know if I saw the Red Band trailer. I would recommend it also not. gave away the shot that we uh, love. Yeah, yeah, yes. I wouldn't even say well, yeah. it. I would well, just recommend yeah. not not watching it if you're intrigued, just because there's there's plenty there that I don't know that the story's given away, but they show so much that it comes they deep that if yeah. you remember that trailer really well. 
for me, that's distracting. See, that type of trailer, that type of trailer coming out for me, mean to me. And, and I want that. I'll give my quick thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. When that type of trailer comes out, I, they're really trying to sell the movie because so. like a red it's, million, it's a 90 million dollar movie. Yeah, right. It's are. expensive film. And also when you put the red band out and you see this wonder of him fighting, it's like, oh, I, I would go to see it immediately if I saw that. I'll say, I will um, say whenever I showed that, at, like in my newsroom. A lot yeah. of dudes in my newsroom went, okay, I didn't really know what this movie was, but now I feel like I got to go see it. That's the right. popcorn. That's the, I know I know so many yeah. people that are just going to be, whether we, they know why or not. There's also the Viking the show, the Valhalla sure. Rising show, which is like mm-hmm. uh, on the cusp and people watch that. They're kind of in yeah. a Vikings mood. Um, in terms of the Northman, I, I, my, my thoughts on it are pretty much exactly my thoughts that I had for the Batman. Um, I, I gave it a four. Uh, both films were cold to me. Uh, I didn't emotionally connect to either of them. Um, that being said, there are scenes and techniques and filmmaking tools and shots and performances that are so damn amazing and just wonders and brutal, immersive, just really good filmmaking. Um, and Skarsgård is an absolute beast. Like this oh. guy is just like destruction, like anything in his path. It's phenomenal. And you believe it because he's that big. Um, and, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy, I thought was great. Nicole Kidman's great. Willem Dafoe's great. Um, it's it's interesting. It's like, I felt like the Batman. Like I walked out and go, I liked that. That was a good movie, but I was not blown away by it. And I kind of agree with uh, Gabe. Uh, I did not feel that I was emotionally in it as much as I wanted to be. Um, another complaint that I have with the Batman that I also have with this movie is the characters are repeatedly telling us that they're on a revenge tale over and over again and repeating what the revenge is and what we're doing. And I'm like, we already saw it. We get it. We, we know it. And that to me comes, comes down to that accessibility. And, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a Hollywood film, big budget. Do they make it easier for audiences to understand? I don't know, but it felt like it was like a bit over, explaining stuff and i'm like i like subtlety and i was re-watching some of the batman yesterday and i think i figured out my problem with that film because i love jeffrey wright so much as an actor but i feel like jeffrey wright's in a different movie than everybody else like there's Dude, like i a, agree with you with he's that, yes. like you know what i mean he it's almost as if he's like delivering his lines like a 60s comic style movie and then but the movie's not fitting its tone he seems like he's like it, he's he, I don't know. I, I, you I know picked what I mean? up on that. I did pick up on that. Yes. On, yeah. on my second viewing where I was like, he's doing something different. It's a different movie. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah. But so so uh, I gave them both a four out of five. Northwind's a solid, solid film. See yeah. it in theaters. This is definitely a movie you should support. I mean, Eggers is a really talented filmmaker. Um, and if you haven't seen The Witch, highly recommend it. And as as we said at the top of the episode, he was on our show this week. And for the lighthouse. Uh, but this week in particular, if you're interested in filmmaking stuff and just like aspect ratio stuff, there's some really cool stuff in there about his choices. He's actually a really super talented, thoughtful guy when it comes to explaining his filmmaking process. Um, the only but choice you know. of his in the Northman that I disagreed with was when um, Anya Taylor Joy was uh, talking to Alexander Skarsgård about his vengeance mission. And she said, Scooby do this shit. Yes. And I thought that's out of place. You know, uh, yeah. like, to be honest, that worked for me. That worked for you. That yeah, worked for I me. That was, and then she, and then she moved the chess piece forward and said, checkmate. That was really good. <laughs> by right. the way, I, I, I want to clarify. It is Anya Taylor-Joy. Just want to let you guys know. Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah. Gotcha. She was fantastic yeah. in the in the Queen's Gambit. Uh, so check oh, that out God. Yeah. If you haven't seen it yet. Uh, the, the review that I have been waiting for from the moment that this film was announced is Kevin McCarthy's take <laughs> on the Nick Cage film, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. 
for for whatever reason, I have not spoken to Kevin about this film yet since mm. we I saw it back at South by. Uh, you saw it at a press screening at some point. Yeah, I just I just haven't heard your reaction to it, Kev. So, yeah, talk to me about your how you how you felt watching the unbearable weight of massive talent. Well, I loved it. And I think Jake was saying this, too. Like the, it is a different movie than you than uh, when, when they initially announced the film. My thought process, though, based on the announcement was and again, this is completely my own interpretation, so it shouldn't affect the outcome of a film. But it's just what I thought going in. I was expecting him to go back into these characters, particularly like have to use them in a way to like to figure out the situation that he was in. It's very different than that. It's it's you know, he's hired for a birthday party for a million dollars and his his filmography exists in the world, um, but he's still playing Nick Cage and those movies exist and they're ex- people expect him to know how to do things from these movies. But he doesn't like fully go into those characters like I thought it was going to be. Um, that being said, the biggest surprise for me was the Pedro Pascal performance. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's so freaking brilliant in this movie. Like he, he uh, in a weird way, almost outshines Nick Cage in a strange way. Um, and, and you know, and, what? Nick and, Cage plays a straight man. In it. Right. And, and, and Pedro, Pedro is like, gets to be weird. Yeah. He's so he, uh, there's something about that character that I, I never quite figured out. And I, I kind of like that. He was always mysterious to me in a perfect way. Like we thought one way about him or not. But for people who aren't familiar, basically, his character hires Nick Cage for a million dollars to come to his base, uh, birthday party. And while there, uh, some type of action scenario takes place that has to put Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal in a situation where they have to save the day. That's kind of the basic premise. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pascal was so great. Um, I also, I won't go into details, but if you're a Nick Cage fan, it's like, it's, it's, it's all the ones that you love are brought up and talked about and shown. Um, and I actually had never seen leaving Las Vegas. Um, so I watched Las Vegas the night before I interviewed Cage for the Junket, and what a God, what a film! Elizabeth Shue so, should have won an Academy Award for that too. Um, I wanted to ask him about leaving Las Vegas when we got a chance to interview. Because underwater, I could, I could never think about the way to get into it. But like, he was a young man when he played that part, and I wonder yeah. how different he'd approach it, you know, twenty years later. Yeah, well, because- and what's it's it's a great question too, and, and the that you would have had a great in because they. They literally recreate the scene where he's in the yeah. bottom of the pool. That's in the trailer. I'm not spoiling anything, um, which is such a great fascination because that, that character is such a tra- it's such a tragedy. What happens to him in, in so, leaving Las yeah. Vegas It's brutal. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I this was such a fun movie. I was just so engaged in it, engaged in it, whatever you want to say. Um, <laughs> I, I found it to be hilarious. I like the buddy comedy aspect of it. It's a buddy comedy movie. That's kind of like what it came down to for me with Pedro mm-hmm. and, um, and Nicholas Cage. But Pascal was kind of the standout. He shocked me how, I mean, I, I've always liked him. Obviously he was great. I loved him in, in 1984. Obviously he's great as the Mandalorian. Um, but he is just a star man like that guy is awesome um so for me i really enjoyed it i'm a big nick cage fan it is a different film than i expected but it ended up being better for that um and there's a lot that i want to go i want to go back again and see it because there's so much going on that you're confused for a lot of you like what's real what's not real and it's actually kind of a fun adventure it's a genuinely good action comedy outside of being a meta movie you know I think it is. Yeah, I, I think I anticipated it to be more meta than it ends up being. But yeah. it is a good sort of satire of Hollywood because Nick Cage is playing Nick Cage. But he's absolutely an exaggerated version mm-hmm. uh, of the it, it like takes elements that that you think you 
know about Nick Cage and and plays with them. Right. Um, but he also uh, and he's been doing a lot of press leading up to this. And the guy, uh, the, the two guys who we had on the show talk about this, too, um, is that the Cage himself is is a little bit more reserved. Uh, oh, yeah. is more of a family person mm-hmm. uh, and and isn't that overblown, you know, uh, personality, the neurotic, that, that the neurotic character we think he is like. And, and yeah. it's so funny because my, one of my favorite performances of his is Matchstick Men. And that's like this, like very quirky because I have OCD and he has OCD in the film and there's this quirkiness. And that's kind of how I viewed Cage as a person, like like he's like that quirky guy, like the rock and like, you know, I don't know. That's but we had spent so much time with his characters that we just in our minds, which is kind of the brilliant point of this movie, really, I think at the end of the day is that it's he's not the person that you think he is based on the movies he plays. Yeah. In a weird way. So many roles too at this point. Right. Jake, uh, what did you think? You, yeah, how did it play for you? Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I think the um the to to the point that we've been talking about that yeah, it is a different movie than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. What the, the a lot of the aspects of what it is felt a little generic for me, a little bit more like the actual plot of like oh well you know he's at this birthday party and the person's birthday party ends up being uh you know uh, uh, the leader of a drug cartel and I thought the aspect of with like the FBI just all all the like Ike and and Tiffany Haddish who play the FBI agents that are like kind of telling him what to do, like weren't really given much to do other than like shout into his ear, like shout instructions. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like there were a lot of aspects that could have been, uh, let me cooked a little bit more or figured out how to make interesting. Um, you know, I loved the meta aspects of it, that the aspects of the movie that I was hoping it was going to be more of, I really liked, but mm-hmm. the actual buddy comedy of it, felt like oh this is fun but it wasn't fun because of like the the creativity of like it was more fun just because of the chemistry between nick and pedro but i felt like the actual buddy comedy plot which is the core of the movie felt just a little just generic buddy comedy to me yeah at the end jake's not wrong it's like i gave it a four out of five i mean Mm -hmm. i think it's it's a really 3.5 three and a half yeah it's it's really fun and i i i found it to be really enjoyable and i think again pascal was the reason why it really kind of succeeded in a much better way for me than i thought it was going to but if if you Um, took nick cage out of this movie and the whole like he you know it it really wouldn't be anything special I think we all recommend it. So if you yeah. if you like oh, Nick yeah. Cage, yeah. you're gonna get you're gonna get stuff out of it. If you're into Pedro Pascal and and the stuff that he tries yeah. as well I, too, I will say I was really yeah. worried when it wasn't super meta. Knowing the hype that Kevin had, I was kind of devastated when because I, I saw it at South by as well. Yeah, and I was a little devastated of like I really because it worked for me the same way I think it worked for you. Where it's like it feels that it was better because it wasn't so meta. Right. So happy to hear that you that you that it worked for you in that level because I was like, oh, this is gonna be Remember crushing. Kevin wanted Travolta to show. Don't up. get me like, wrong. Kev was banking on some big time stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still wish like he became Caster Troy again, just yeah. for like a well, we're moment. Gonna that, like, we're going to get that the deleted scene in which he he becomes all of them. Right. They should oh, yeah, release that yeah. like they did the Barry Keegan Joker scene. Yeah. Like, Why that, would you put shoot that and take it out? I, I think they know. said it just didn't with the story story. It's always oh, story. what a yeah. w- what a scene to have him play. Like, like oh, I, I can't I know. believe oh, wait, that. He said to Jake, I think he told Jake that the studio told him he had to choose either the, oh, the oh, Nikki right. character that's which right. plays. Yeah, I love the Nikki character. I wouldn't get rid of the Nikki character. I think he's terrific. The de-aging or, didn't look as great, but no, but that's OK. It but it works it because it's supposed to be kind of a mental image, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like right. I, I, it still looks like what it looks like, but it it worked for me in the sense of like 
I wasn't DK supposed Jim. to believe that Robert De Niro was 35 <laughs> years old in a Jim. diner. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, earlier, we were talking uh, in the group about Moon Knight. And hopefully by the time you guys have listened to this podcast, you're caught up with episode four of the Disney Plus show. Uh, and part of the reason why I'm enjoying that show as much as I am is because of the outstanding work of both Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke, who is our blend game for this week. And, you know, I'm not going to choose moon Knight because of um four episodes but he's really doing some amazing stuff uh as this uh, he's great in the northman too religious avatar yes he is great in northman um so but my choice i'm gonna i'm gonna kick us off and i couldn't go with anything other than boyhood like did anyone else do boyhood no good all right i'm the only one uh for so many different reasons uh a you know the, the the story behind boyhood and how they filmed it is remarkable and so for him to be one of the people uh, in that cast who maintained a character uh, over the course of decades uh, to shoot for Richard Linklater is incredible. But then when you break it down, Ethan Hawke showing us the different sides of this character uh, at all these different stages of the man's life is remarkable. Like it's 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 tremendous how he was able to find a continuity and a flow to play uh, a, a young version of this character, a young man um, who's entering into a relationship becoming a young father uh, to move on to become somebody who uh, at the older stage of his life is now realizing how much life has sort of passed him by and the things that he has handed down to his son and the things that he didn't get a chance to hand down to his son. Um, And it's, it's, it's again, stunning because they shot it over the course of 20 years. But then when you talk about how much Ethan Hawke put into the different elements of that character at different stages, uh, it is absolutely to me, one of the most mind blowing performances uh, that any actor has sort of given. Uh, I got to give a lot of credit to the young kid who plays the the main character for Boyhood, because if you think of how, how much he had to sort of transition, not just as a person, uh, but as a performer, and doesn't, doesn't have the history that Ethan Hawke or um, it's Patricia Arquette. Who's who plays the mm-hmm. mom? Mm-hmm. She won the Oscar for it. I got to say Oscar right. winner. That both of them uh, brought to their roles. Um, so I was I'm floored. Ethan Hawke's one of those one of those actors. Uh, and Boyhood was what really solidified it for me. That for some reason I I kind of dismiss him. I don't know why I dismiss him. Like I'm uh, I don't think that he's going to be as good as he always is, right? Like I sit down for a, a film of his and he completely melts my face, and I'm like, oh god, that's right, you you're amazing. And maybe it's because he's just like he's a really handsome dude, and handsome guys can coast, you know. Like you don't expect them to be Have you ever as seen good him as they in are the, uh, in the Kimmel sketch where he's a part of the the handsome men's club. Oh, no, and, uh, it's a bunch of like good looking actors, like filmed around a circular table and, and Kimmel's trying to get into the club. <laughs> um, and and they and at the beginning, Ethan Hawke makes a motion. He goes, uh, no, you guys haven't answered my request to legally change my name. And they go, change it, <laughs> change it to what? And he goes, handsome. And they go, handsome Hawk. And he goes, and he goes, yeah, and he goes, oh, no, passed. And he goes, OK, I'm handsome Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for that reason, uh, I'm I'm often uh, to the detriment of myself surprised by how good he is. Um, but boyhood. Boy, it's an accomplishment that, that again, like who's going to touch that? Like who's going to film a movie over the course of, of 20 years uh, and have it work out and have it work out as well as it did. And so much of that is due to uh, Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette. So uh, I picked that. That's the that's the one I went with. So, Jakey, where'd you go? Uh, I went a direction. I'm a, maybe thinking Kevin probably went uh, to. If not, that we could. I, I mean, feel like. Yeah, I, I feel, feel like I before, training day. Before, oh, I was going to say before you say it. Yeah, oh, so I, I was going to say. I'm sorry. 
No, we both chose training day. And yeah. I bet you we both have the same scene we want to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, the big thing is, particularly for that movie, everyone talks about Denzel's performance. And let's be honest, sure. it is a flawless performance. But Denzel's performance does not work without Ethan Hawke's performance. They mm-hmm. they complement each other. They're two puzzle you know, pieces of with this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just... And, and 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 Sean, I love that we got the chance to talk to him about um, the what ended up being his Oscar clip. And, and Kevin, I know this is probably the scene the, the where he's in the bathtub. Yeah. And he has the shotgun in his face and he's about to get his head blown off and he screams at these guys. I have a little girl. Mm-hmm. And it's just to me, I don't understand why that scene doesn't get. And look, I love King Kong ain't got shit on me. I, I mean, like I, I love Denzel in that movie. I love Denzel in that movie, but I equally love Ethan Hawke and you don't have one without the other. Um, his, his performance is just, he, he has much more of an emotional roller coaster to go on mm-hmm. that. I mean, like, like Denzel starts at a 10 and stays at a 10. And then you could argue maybe ends at an 11. Like he, he just, he, he is that way the whole way. What Ethan Hawke has to do, is arguably a little bit more difficult because he has to justify this range of emotions within, if you think about it, what, like 18 hours, he starts in the morning and ends like he like pulls up into his driveway at the end of the movie. I mean, that's and, and what he has to go through in, in less than a 24 hour span and make it make sense and justified um, is arguably a little bit harder. Um, well, and he's us. Like he's, he's us. Audience 100%. Yeah, 100%. I think I, th- I think there's there's literally a moment that you can see what Jake's talking about. Um, because that, that's the bathroom scene is definitely one of the scenes that I would refer to. But there is a scene early in the film where they're driving together, and uh, Denzel's character stops the car in the middle of the intersection and and forces uh, uh, Ethan Hawke to do drugs. Right, and I think he ends up doing like PCP or whatever. Um, in that in like that little tin foil thing. <laughs> That to me is the moment where he breaks a bit like 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 you're like this guy has a hard shell up as Jake's talking about. He leaves the house in the morning. He's he's that guy who's going to follow the rules and do everything by the book because he wants to make detective. And then, you know, Denzel's points out that, you know, that's not how this works. Like you're, you have to bend the rules a bit to work your way up. But there's a moment in that scene where like Ethan's guard is so up in that moment and you see Denzel break him like he breaks him and the guy does drugs literally right in the middle of the and the but the, the way Denzel plays that he pulls the gun on him and says if, if this was if this was an undercover situation you'd be dead or whatever mm-hmm. it was and then you go oh wow I I I do see what he's saying because, yeah, you're right. Ethan could be stuck in a situation where he's riding along and, you know, that happens to him. So you actually understand where Denzel is coming from, but then you understand why Ethan breaks. And then it's that forward. And then, Jake, the scene when they get to who's the older gentleman's house they go to early on as well. Scott Glenn. Um, Yes, uh, there's a lot in that scene as the, uh, basically it's almost as you're as if you're taking a kid who had never been thrown into a horrible situation and you see them put into real life and you see how it affects them in that period of time. And Jake's mm-hmm. right, like the, the arc he goes through and that there's something about watching that while he tries to keep his balance and tries to keep his moral line correct. Like when he goes to rescue that girl uh, in the alleyway scene and like, you know, he's being good cop, like getting those guys away. And then Denzel, like, you know, takes it to the more extreme. Um, there really is like a good point about Denzel because Denzel's extremities are only extreme because of Ethan's 
moral line right mm-hmm. and i think that's kind of what they're playing with the whole time he's so damn good in the film and i remember seeing it with my buddy amc hoff uh, amc hampton town center and i, I saw it through two or three times because i remember this movie was supposed to come out the week of 9 11 um, if you remember oh, correctly right. or around that time period because i remember I remember it coming out. It had a poster and then they changed the release date for it because of 9-11. I don't know if it was the exact week, but they pushed it. I remember they oh, wow. pushed it. That and Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember like Ethan Hawke being so powerful and then buying. I bought the DVD the day it came out. I was at Best Buy at 830 before they Snap opened case. that morning. Yeah, Snapcase, <laughs> the little black thing you yeah. open up and then. Yeah, I think I still have um, it. But I don't I'll check on the training day release dates, but I believe they moved it two weeks, but I'll double check it. All right. Well, while you're curious. doing that uh, for audience picks, Amy said uh, Gattaca. Jayanta, oh, Mitra, great. Jackson Lowen and many more went with First Reformed, uh, the Paul Schrader film that he did. Great performance. Michael. OK, Green. so I got it. Original release date was September 21st. And then because of 9-11, they pushed it to October 5th. OK. Gotcha. I remember they. I worked in a movie theater. and They had to change the poster out because it had the original date on it. Michael Breen Anyways. said uh, no wrong answers, but he has to pick. And this is where I was going to go. He has to pick before sunrise, before sunrise, before sunset. Um, before was it the whole trilogy? The last one. Yeah. Well, I forget the third one. Um, such a tremendous it's a similar concept. Uh, Linklater's doing with with those characters of just revisiting them before midnight. Thank you. Well, that third one's not quite as good as the other two, but before sunrise is terrific. Uh, Chris went with Sinister. I thought one of you two was going to pick Sinister. I do love Sinister. Honestly, I'm surprised. Like Sinister is more of a Scott Derrickson film. Yeah, that kind of falls into the category when we talk about like the person has to be the reason that we love the movie mm. so much. And, and, I, okay. and I love Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke's really good in that movie, but Ethan Hawke isn't the reason I love Sinister. Yeah, he's not the memory that comes to mind. The, yeah. the, when, when I think of Sinister, I think of like brutal, uh, atmospheric, disturbing horror. It's it, okay. it, it arguably is the scariest movie I've ever seen next to The Shining. No we question. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. Uh, Isaiah Washington and Josh Kimig both went with uh, kind of the way this shook out. They said boyhood, um, but a huge shout out to Training Day. And then uh, that was Isaiah. And then Josh had a toss up between boyhood and training day. So we kind of covered all the bases. Um, thank you, everybody, for participating this week. For next week, you can play along with hashtag Rosario Dawson blend. So play along on social media or you can send us your picks. A lot of choices. At Real there. blend at some Yes, I know. I have yeah. mine and it's going to I'm curious if you guys will know what it is. I mean, okay. mine, mine's locked. OK, I, I'll guess <laughs> next week. I think I'm Alexander is. Just out of curiosity, before we end, do you have any idea what it might be? I I I think yours is Clerks 2. I would say Clerks 2. Oh, I'd say Sin City. We'll find out next week. That's what's what's a podcast. Is one of us right? Either of those correct. We're locked in. He can't say it. One of you is right. (laughs) It's me. I got it right. Honestly, this is next week's segment. This is next week's segment. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm talking to them, trying to pry more information out of you. We call that a tease, kids. Our yeah, next premium teams. episode, as mentioned, is a, it's a mailbag. too long of a trailer. So again, check the description below for more information on how you can sign up. In the meantime, uh, follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Come on, Gabe Kevin. Kovach, and at Real Blend. Uh, totally me. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be back next week with um, what are we? Are we going to be talking about CinemaCon and all the fun things that we're seeing and that I'm seeing in Las Vegas, <laughs> including Top Gun <laughs> in its entirety. Yeah. Well, Kevin and I are watching it together as friends. That's what friends do. You guys do that. See you next week. Bye, guys. Hockey pads. Bazinga. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. 
by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.